Hey everyone, this is Richie Ramone, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. Yeah. What? I can't afford to be This is small town music This is big town music He's ahead of his time, you know But he can't use it If only he could prove it Well, tomorrow's just a song away A song away A song away Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and it's very exciting today because we have with us in the studio... Richie Ramone. That's a Ramone, people. That's one of the seven Ramones. It's hard to get a Ramone right now because, sadly, we've lost four of them. Rock in peace to Joey, Johnny, Dee Dee, and Tommy. But we've got Richie Ramone. Richie, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure, How are you yeah. doing? It's doing great. I'm doing really good. Happy let, to be here. Let me tell you something. Richie is a tall dude, and your fingers are... Look at those long fingers, and it's amazing. <laughs> well, you know. How did you like that? It helps me when I play piano. <laughs> what other do you play other instruments other than drums? Sure, you know, like a little guitar and bass and a little piano. Just enough to write, you Just, know. Yeah. I'm not comfortable doing that on stage though. What's your uh, what's your instrument of choice to write songs with? Is it the piano? Probably, yeah. But I like the guitar for getting uh, rhythm rhythms down, you know. You can't it's hard to do on the piano. But then again, songs I wrote for the Ramones, I wrote on the piano. And when, uh, when, you, when you play out live with your band currently, do you, uh, are you behind the kit the whole time? Do you step out in front? What do you do? A little bit of everything? Yeah, no, I, you know, I play drums and sing, and then uh, Andy comes on. Um, he travels with us, and when I go up front, he plays drums for me. Nice. So um, it works out well, because it's behind all that wood and metal. You just can't sit there the whole night and... You can't connect with the audience. You have to go to the front. You have to kick the kids in the head and have fun with them. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just, you know, I, I, th I think it just gets a little boring that way. They want to interact with you. Yeah. And they really can't touch you when you wait, you know. When you're behind the kit. Right. They want to see you slam behind the kit, but then you come out. Right. And well, I have to play drums. That's what they know me as. And, you know, <laughs> that's my first love. I'm not, you know, a front man, you know. But, but you are now. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine uh, sent me, when I told him you were coming on the show, he, and I want to read because he sent me a quote from himself. His name is Rob Alba. And he said, I saw the Ramones once with Richie, and that guy was a beast. He played those songs faster than the speed of light. That's nice. Sure. What do you think of that? I think that's great. I'm glad, you know, <laughs> somebody noticed. You, you, do, you do seem like you were the heaviest hitter of the three uh, Ramones drummers. Well, not so much heavy hitter. It was, um, I remember, you know, growing up when 1980 came and all that music came from Europe and stuff like that, you know, it seemed to all be like on a click and it was just like dance drumming. You drummed and you became this solid machine. And that's, mm -hmm. when I got in the band, you know, like Tommy was loose, kind of like Charlie Watts, you know? Yeah. That fit for that kind of punk sound. But it changed when I got in there because of, just my dynamics and how my tempos were just perfect and I, you know, wasn't playing fills, just, you know, something to groove on. Mm -hmm. And it kind of worked, you know, Didi was all around me, so nobody was stepping on each other. It was a good lineup. And did, uh, 
was drums always your instrument of choice? Like growing up, was that the first uh, instrument yes. you gravitated towards? Kindergarten, I used to, you know, when the um, you'd have recess and the teacher would pull out that dusty, dirty box with those instruments in them, the mm-hmm. toys. Mm-hmm. I never picked up anything I could blow into. I'd always pick up the sand blocks or something that made a rhythm. So from five, six years old, I knew what there was something going on. Everyone's kind of an amateur drummer. I mean, when I drive around in my car, I'm, I'm drumming on the steering wheel nonstop. I mean, that's, I got busted the other day, a woman's right next to me and I'm drumming and I look and she, and I just, I just kept, I just smiled. What are you going to do? You're busted. I wasn't picking my nose. I was just drumming. So hmm. that was cool. Uh, you grew up a uh, big family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Five kids. Yes. And you're right in the center. Right in the middle. Middle child. See, I was a middle child too, but we only had, I only had one above and one below, but we need all the attention. That's a Sputnik baby. 1956, <laughs> the Russians lost to Sputnik. Is that what I they call it? Is that, re- is that a real term? A Sputnik baby? To me it is, but okay. I, think, I think I've heard that before. If not, you just coined a great term <laughs> that people are going to use. So were you, uh, were you a rambunctious kid? Were you always trying to get uh, attention, maybe not in, the, not in a good way? Yeah, I was pretty, you know... You know, yeah, I was pretty demanding. You know, <laughs> they say the middle kids are like, you know, different than the rest. You know, so I don't know. I think but, it's true. I think um, it's true. Yeah, I was a brat. Let's put it that way. <laughs> were, yeah. you, were you were you uh, were you a good student or were you a trouble in school? No, I was good. I was good till you know, like high school to the end of high school. You know, I knew that at that point, twelfth grade, I didn't want to go to college, you know, like my other brothers and sisters mm-hmm. did. You know, I, I just wanted to get on the road and play music, and maybe that was a mistake. But <laughs> So I remember like the last quarter, you know, I just got all Fs. I didn't care. I never went to school because I knew I had enough to graduate and get my diploma. <laughs> but before that, I, you know, So even with the, the all Fs, you were able to graduate? Yeah, because I had enough for the th- first three quarters. I knew that, you know, I still had enough to get the diploma. Are the, because uh, I'm, I'm imagining uh, myself as a dad, uh, if, my, if my oldest daughter wanted to go uh, on the road and, uh, and play drums and not go to college, uh, I wouldn't be that happy with it. How were your parents? Were they okay with well, it? Well, I was 17 now, you know, it's kind of yeah. like doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother would always go to the car in the morning and empty the ashtray full of the roaches from the marijuana cigarettes. <laughs> and that's as far as she'd go, you know, just to let you know, hey, yeah. you know, I know what you're doing. And I know what you're She always to. put them right on my seat. You know, and back then <laughs> we had like, you know, those jacked up cars with Craig or Mags and Hearst 1974 was, you know, we had hot rods then still. Yeah. So she, so your, your parents knew what you were up to and they were just hoping you'd, you know, you wouldn't get in too much trouble. Yeah, well, they were kind of strict, but, yeah. you know, at that at that time, you know, there was all times before where they wanted to send me to, you know, the bad boy school and all that stuff. But you know, it never really happened. That's good. Mil- no military school for Richie. No. So Did- instead of since they didn't have to pay for uh, college, I got the, the, my mother bought me a quadraphonic stereo. Remember those <laughs> quadraphonic you four know, least, speakers? Yeah, and I think I got the Who album or something like that. Yeah. But. Because there, were, there weren't many albums that were actually recorded in yeah. quadraphonic back yeah, then. Yeah, they got off easy with me. <laughs> I just left and I was gone. I should mention that uh, the reason that you're here is because you're, you have a new autobiography that just came out. Mm-hmm. I know better now, my life before, during, and after the Ramones. Mm-hmm. We're talking a little bit about the before currently. Right. Uh, but are you, are you a parent, by the way? Do you have kids? No, I do not. No kids? Mm-mm. 
All right. Did you never want kids? Probably not. I'm too selfish, I guess. Where you know, I want to be. You want you, know, you want to be focus a center, of yeah. attention, and uh, it's you know I don't think I was ever in that position where you could you know really have the child and go on the road and yeah. be a punk rocker and play music because you know there's not a ton of money in it, and I think it would just added a lot more problems. And I had 14. You know, my brothers and sisters all had tons of kids, so... So your Uncle Richie. I'd borrow one for a week, and that was it. And <laughs> that I was give enough. it back, yeah. Well, I, I mean, find that... I actually find that admirable when people actually know, I don't want to have kids, and these are my reasons, and then... Because some people, they have their same reasons, and then they have kids, and then they, they're not good parents, so good for you. Yeah. You knew. Is this, is this a, I guess so. <laughs> I guess I was lucky too. <laughs> I've been with a lot of women and I was lucky. <laughs> All right. Well, look, I want to talk a little bit before we get into the Ramon stuff. You, you, have, uh, you have a bunch of music on your own. You have a bunch mm-hmm. of, uh, you have two solo albums proper. Yeah. And on iTunes, the first song I came, I think this is the most recent thing. It might not be, but the single called The Last Time. Yeah, that was the most recent. My f- dad died last February. So I got back home and I, I wrote that song. It was like really weird. Like, it takes me a long time to write songs. That's why I put out an album every three years because, you know, <laughs> I just wanted to be right and mean something and not just slop it out there. But those lyrics came to me like in an afternoon. It was really crazy. So, well, yeah, when I listened to this song, I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is really touching song and I kind of I kind of felt like I knew what it was about but I'm glad you just told us it's about your dad's passing yeah he waited my mother kept calling me you know they're in New Jersey and she said um you know I've seen him a few times but now he was like really out of it and the nurse said two or three days he was in home hospice blah 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 and I'm like then finally she said well wait till he goes and then Saturday they kept saying you gotta go because he's waiting for you Mm -hmm. he just has his mouth open and breathing his eyes are shut so I don't know. I got there like two in the morning. By four in the morning, he passed. No, pretty crazy. Once he, uh, I guess, knew I was there, type of thing. Yeah, I hear that story a lot. The, yeah, you know, people uh, hang on to to see one of their loved ones. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear a little bit of this because this is a, this is a great song. I actually think people are going to be a little bit surprised because this, you know, when you say Richie Ramon, you might not think of a song like this, and this is a really beautiful song. So this is called "The Last Time." Pretty great. That's really nice. Thanks. Did yeah, I um, like it. now uh, when you when you played that for your mom the first time? How was how was what was her reaction? Yeah, they all like it, but yeah, who's not like, like really, it? You know, music buff. She's proud to have you know Ramon as a son and all that, but you know, 
That's what I was going to say too, or ask you was uh, when um, when you're you're a troubled kid and you don't go to college and you want to play drums and it's and it's it's like probably not the greatest thing as a parent. But then when you finally have success, they're probably you know so proud. The biggest your biggest fans. Yeah, she was always very supportive. You know, she's always very supportive of music. That's why she didn't say, "Oh, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do." Yeah, that's good. Go to college. You know, I mean. Growing up playing drums in the basement, smashing around, you know, having people over, like when you're 14 and playing in the basement, you know, yeah. it's a big deal for a parent to let you uh, do that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. And it's hard, it's hard for a parent to, they have expectations of what they want their kid to do. But, you know, sometimes you, you know, you have to let your kids just be who they're going to be or else, or else it's going to be this. You're going to be button heads all the time. Yeah, well, that's hard. You know, I yeah. grew up in the time where, you know, you know, children should be seen and not heard. That was, you know, that was the standard motto. Yeah. You know, my father would come home and my mother would say, everybody go to your room, <laughs> you know, till he settled in, you know. So that, that you know, that was kind of weird, but my mother was the protector to all the kids, you know. So. Yeah, I think that's how it was back in back in the day. That's how dads were. That's how moms were. That's, yeah. how, that's how it was. Yeah, so. All right, 2016. This is your most recent solo release. Full mm-hmm. album, Cellophane. Where's right. that title come from? It just came from the song, you know, the song Cellophane, which was, you know, it was kind of like, you know, how night after night being on the road, one of those kind of songs. Uh, you just feel like, oh, maybe I don't, you know, you don't want to play that night, or you know, maybe something's bothering you, and you feel like you're wrapped in cellophane, you know. <laughs> and then when you get there, the, you know. The car pulls up and the kids start yelling and they start yelling your name, you know, you kind of break out of this shell and you go like, wow, here we go again. It's time to entertain, you know, because it's all about, it's all about the kids and the fans. I keep saying kids, but there's a lot of people on my shows older than me, you know, but it's all about them, you know. It's the connection with yeah, the Yeah, they the buy audience. the ticket, you know, it's not about me at all. It's about them. I just want to entertain them and let them go home and say, wow, what a great night that was. You know? Well, the first single that you released off of this album is actually a cover of a Depeche Mode song right. called Enjoy the Silence. So let's hear a little bit of this okay. and then you can tell us why you chose this. Words like violence break the silence Come crashing in into my little world Painful to me, pierce right through me Can't you understand? That's a nice cover. That's oh, a good. That's a, a good one. You want how much you want to hear? You want no, to hear that's more? Enough. No. Got so many songs queued up. We, we just play a little bit. Just tease them. Then then they'll go to iTunes and buy this thing. No, it's always you know. I remember my first album, you know, I couldn't find the right cover. And this this cover kind of worked, you know. You got to, like, try to make it your own. And I've, I've always loved that band. The Latin community loves that band. Um, you know, the message is, you know, kind of clever because you can, like, take it a bunch of different yeah, ways. Yeah. Where Depeche Mode always does that, you know. 
a lot of the songs are about, you know, death and things like that. But you don't really know they're talking about that. It's more like relationships. And I thought I did a really cool thing. It's a lot of fun to go to the DJ. And when I do the DJ shows in South America and play that song, you know, it's really cool. South America, you are still gigantic down in South America, correct? Is that where is that where the most rabid fans are? Yes. Mm-hmm. Argentina and Brazil, number one is probably Argentina. You, the Ramones, when they would go down there, they're like the Beatles down there. It's insane. Yeah, it used to be really uh, scary sometimes. You know? it was, was it more scary than exciting or thrilling? Sometimes scary because it'd be hundreds of kids, you know, you get in the van, they start wanting to turn it over, you know, <laughs> and rocking it. And so you got to get out of there. Wherever you go, they're flying down the streets, banging on the window. So it can get a little crazy. But So know. when it's crazy like that, you really, you can't really have any personal contact with the fans, right? You could probably get right on the stage, get off and get to the hotel. Is it, is it all hotel living at that point? Cause you, right. if you mm-hmm. go out, it's too dangerous. Yeah. It's a little weird to go out. So, but now when I go down there, it's still a big deal, but you got to remember now we're in a different time, you know, yeah. 86, 87 was different. 87 was the first time the Ramones ever went there. And that's when I was still in the band. And then they went in 91 again. But, um, I come out after the shows and meet the kids, and it's rough. It's really hard. I got, you know, 200 kids pushing and shoving, but the security gives me, like, a big ring and helps me out. And, but I'll stand <laughs> right in there and sign anything they want for an hour after the show. That's so nice. They like that, and um, I think that's important now. We live in a different thing. You can't really hide behind a glass wall anymore, Yeah, you know? It is, a, I mean, anytime I've met someone as a fan, you know, at, after a show, it really meant a lot to me if they were, you know, you know, giving of their time. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you don't have to. You gave us the music. Right. We bought the music. We saw your show. You don't have to do that. But right. when people do, it, I, I really appreciate it. And I got to tell you, everyone listening, Richie signed a, a ton of stuff today. He's, his hand's probably cramped up. We had him sign so much stuff. Mm. And I thank you for that because that's all stuff yeah. for, for the listeners. And I appreciate it. Sure. Next song I'm going to play off cellophane is, uh, how do I tell, say it, Braggadocio? Braggadocio, yeah. All right, let's hear it. That's a great tune. You yeah, are slamming, the drums are slamming on that. Yeah, that's about, you know, what punk rock's about. Punk rock's not about the haircut or being cool. Punk rock is, you know, being true to yourself, being a real person, not a phony. That's what I believe. You have something to say, you say it. You say it like a man to someone's face, you know, don't go behind people's back. Just be, you know, a real person. That's what I think, you know, punk rock is. Yeah. You know? I mean, again, we live in an age where it's people sit behind their computer screen and they, mm-hmm. they tweet out or they post, you know, anything they want to post because they're not in front of the person because in front of them, they would never say things like that. Yeah, I call them trolls. <laughs> I have plenty of trolls who come through and post stuff, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, the Ramones are kind of, they're broken up into three different lineups. The lineup, where, 
You know, you have the Tommy lineup, which only lasted less than me, around four years. Then you have the Marky who came, and then you have my era. Then you even had the CJ era, yeah. and Marky came back. So there's different fans for different time periods, and not necessarily do they all... All line you know, up. All line up uh, under the stars, so the trolls will come after you. Well, and you just have to be tough and ignore it and just let it fall off your shoulder, you know? Well, I, I got to tell you, I... I I'm not. I love it all. I don't care who. I don't care who's in the band. I love it all. Okay. And and I just want to. But in case I forget to say it, uh, you joining the band, you kept the band solid in the '80s. I mean, I really think you kept the band strong and going. I mean, the three albums you play on are tough, and and mm-hmm. and people love those albums. And then and CJ in the '90s kept everyone going, and that's why this brings me to why I'm so mad at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that you and CJ aren't in there because you should be because it's not like you were just there for a year and on one album you were on three albums and CJ I think so on is it three or four albums three albums also and I mean you guys needed to be recognized there too I, I know the guys recognized you mm-hmm. but uh but you should be in there too and that sucks yeah I don't know what happened with that but you know that's just another thing to collect dust on the shelf so mm-hmm. Uh, people really know, yeah. you know, what I did in the band and how I contributed songwriting-wise and all that stuff, you know. I mean, I wrote Somebody Put Something in My Drink, which is probably, you know, the most top 20 of all time. They did that song till the very last show after I left in 87. Yeah. That stayed in their set. And the way the Ramones worked at every album is you change maybe like four songs, but the structure of the set stay, stayed the same. And it was interesting they kept that song in there because it was strong, you know. So well, it's it's not. It, I have it. It's not. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call an audible and I'm gonna play some of that. Uh, it's out of my running order, but this is somebody put something in my drink. It kicks off the album Animal Boy. It's the first song on the right, album, is- and it's written by you solo Richie composition. Let's hear some of it. Somebody, somebody put something in my. killer mm-hmm. it's killer it's, is this is this uh does someone put something in your drink once oh yeah all the time you just make it sound like it was all the time oh maybe more than once but you know we used to go out in new york city when i first moved there. i think i was like 20 maybe and we really didn't have money um so when we go to one university and places like that down the east village when people got up to dance or to go to the jukebox we'd steal the drinks <laughs> And that's how we drank all night for free. And we did that all the time till one night, you know, I started feeling odd. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? I got to go home. And, you know, it's really scary to have a drink with a spike or acid or like that. I would imagine, yeah. And you don't know about it. It's different if you know it's coming. 
So it was kind of weird, and then I finally realized what it was, and that's how you know, it all came about. And I told Didi that story, you know, like eight years later or whenever. And, and Didi said, I put that in your drink. No. <laughs> he said, you should write that song, and that's how it happened. This you is, um, I got a, a story about the album Animal Boy. When this came out, I worked at a record store. I worked at a place called National Record Mart. And all the employees, uh, the music that we played in the store, we were allowed to play one side of an album and then it would be someone else's turn. So my friend who also worked there, Craig, we were both Ramones fans, so I would play side A, and then it would be his turn, and he would play side B, so we would play the whole thing in store, and then eventually our manager said, you guys have to pick different albums, you can't play the whole, but for as long as we could, we played Animal Boy, top to bottom. Wow, And uh, it's, uh, how did, let me ask you about the album cover on here. You, uh, is that a real monkey on the front? Yeah, that's, I think, Zippy, the famous chimp. He was expensive. He was like, he got like, you know, $2,000, I think, for that shoot, you know? And did you, uh, he probably got more for the shoot than you guys got. Well, we don't get anything for the shoot. <laughs> did, uh, now, you're holding the monkey on the front. It was that, did you want to hold the monkey, or did the other guys not want to, and so you had to? It was to? not. It was, um, you know, Joey was supposed to hold the monkey, and the monkey would go to Joey. It wouldn't stay there. It would just keep jumping to me, jumping to me for an hour. <laughs> then I think John um, tried to hold the monkey and it pissed on his shoulder, so he was done with the monkey. <laughs> and Didi, forget about it. So I was like, "Well, Richie, now you hold the monkey," you know. And that's how you know uh, came about. And the monkey you warmed know. up to you. Well, you know, I'm an animal lover, an animal, you know, rights kind of guy. Yeah. And I think the monkey understood that. And um, you have pets right now. Sure, I always have pets. What do you have? Dogs. I mainly have dogs. What kind of you know, dogs? Like you have? I have a what do they call it? It's a husky, um a husky Labrador mix. It's a big dog, it's like seventy pounds. You know, that's that's my main dog. But I also have other things like turtles. <laughs> There's the soft side of Richie comes through with the turtles. Um, let's jump into we'll get back to Animal Boy, but we gotta start with uh gotta start with Too Tough to Die. First of all, you joined the because you're in the uh, time has come today. You're in that video. You didn't right. play on that song, but you're in the video because Marky was gone and you're in the band. Was there an audition process, or did one of the guys know you? How did you get into the Ramones? Total audition. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know them personally. I, you know, um, well, gosh, it's all in my book. I guess you didn't read my book. No, but, no, no. Look, I add, this is, I've had other guys on that have books, and when I ask questions like this, they look at me like it's in the book. But this is for our listeners. Well, the listeners haven't read the book, the book. Maybe. Well, anyway, no. It was, no, uh, I love the book. The book is fantastic, and it's one of the better. Rem- there's a ton of books out there. There's a Dee Dee book. There's a Johnny book. There's a Marky book, and this one is is in my top two. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, how does that make me feel? <laughs> you could be number one. Okay. No, I anyway. love it. It's a great book, Richie. Seriously, but tell us, tell tell the world about how you get into. The I was nuts. playing in a band called Velveteen, and you know, um, I used to hang at the Shirts House a lot. The Shirts were a big, you know, band, band with Andy Golden, and he used to play CBGBs and all that stuff. And they had this big house in Brooklyn, three stories that people paid rent. They had a recording studio, it was a clubhouse. We'd go there every day. So Larry. Uh, Larry mentioned to the, you know, when they were getting rid of Marky, you know, uh, he told him about me. He said, oh, this guy, I know this guy. I was Richie Bo at the time. That was my name. And you got to check him out and blah, blah, blah. And that's how it happened. I got a call from um, Monty, the road manager, to come down and audition. Mm-hmm. 
kind of like being in the right spot at the right time type of thing and just went through like any other blind audition yeah went and in there and were you a fan you were a fan of the band not really i mean uh, i saw them in high school when uh, in 1975 i believe just out of high school and i was very interested like wow this sound this is something new and all that yeah but I was still playing in funk bands, horn bands, because, you know, my brother was a sax player. And um, so I was still doing all that stuff and never really wasn't. I guess I was younger than these guys, so I really wasn't on that scene in New York City in the late 70s. Right. I really didn't get there to 80. But um, no, I didn't, you know, I didn't have, uh, I think I had the first record, but I didn't have anything else besides that. You know, I can't call myself oh, I was a fan and knew everything. Mm -hmm. I had to go to Sire and get all the CDs and learn all the songs. But uh, once you're in that band, then you realize, wow, what you've been missing and what a fan I became. I mean, Joey's voice was so special, you know. And is Joey's the person that he became your, he became your, the guy that you hung with out, yeah. of, out of the four. You mm -hmm. and him were tight. Yeah, indeed. You know, I mean, but Joey and I, we, what was I in that band? Four years, 10 months. I think we were together every day. Even when we weren't touring, I'd go to the East Village and we'd go out stomping around. And yeah, he he was, you know, he was so supportive. He was he was very comfortable behind his rose-colored glasses. He always pushed me to sing and sing more and do more and just write and never like, oh, you're the drummer, just stay back there and don't shake your head too much, you know? <laughs> so it was really cool. When you and Joey are out in the village walking around, I mean... Joey's a pretty recognizable guy. Mm -hmm. He must have got stopped every, you know, 10 feet. Yeah, all the time. And But he was always gracious. You know, they taught me a lot how to treat the fans and take your time, say hello, sign stuff. And, you know, you know, don't be arrogant. They kind of, you know, they kind of guided me because that was my first national act coming mm -hmm. in there. Sure. I guess I got in that band when I was 25. So you're still kind of a baby then, you know. You're still all over the place and wild. You know, now it seems like 25 is old, but... I don't know, 1983, it seemed different. Yeah. It was before, you know, all this, you know, media and the internet and, you know, the cell phones and so it's kind of a different thing. You don't care for the social media, it sounds like. Are you, are you into it or you don't? No, I like care it. for it. I, you I, do? You know, you know, if it's I used properly. Yeah, I have, it's great that the bands are able to do that and put their songs out there and things like that, but... You know, back in the 80s, it was like the Wild West. Now, wherever I am, you never know who's listening or who's uh, taking your photo because they all have these, you know, little cameras. Sure. Before, they had to lug in a big camera. Right. So now, you you, you got to watch be, yourself everywhere. You could be, you know, badder then, you know. Now, you have to be a little more behaved. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's true. That's a good way to put it. Mm. When, um, when you joined the band... Did they just let you play the way you played drums, or yeah. did they want? They didn't want you to play like Tommy. They didn't no. want you to play like Marky. I already knew how to play like Tommy, and Marky. <laughs> nobody ever wants to play like him. He's got awful. You know? He doesn't even know where the one is. I mean, you know, he was really, really fortunate to have that job. I mean, Tommy was great, you know. Yeah. But Mark is just, you know, whatever. You know? But he's here. Come on in, Mark. No, he's not. Um, no, I knew what to do, and yeah. I remember that first record we were making, and I said to Tommy, is everything cool? We're doing it good. He said, you're doing great. Just do what you're doing. Yeah, and, and see, that that's, that's, that's kind of cool. Tommy is a co-producer on that record with mm -hmm. Ed Stasium. So mm -hmm. we've got the original Ramones drummer in there right. in the recording studio with the new guy, Richie, right. 
Was that your first time in a professional like recording atmosphere like that? No, I've been in professional recording situations, mm-hmm. but that was my first national act. So it was kind of like, you know, here I was getting a salary and just recording <laughs> and it was kind of a whole new ball game for me. And are you, are you a band member at that point? Or are you a hired gun? No, How, I'm what, a band member, you're a band but, member. A, but I'm a hired gun. You know, I'm due a salary. I didn't, you know. Yeah. Partake in all the other goodies, you know, the T-shirts and all that stuff. So, so you didn't. Uh, now, this is what I've heard before. You didn't get any of that T-shirt money, even though no. your name's on the T-shirt at that time. No. Mm-mm. And that's what you know. After four years, I started to question, like, come on, you know, you got to cut me in a little bit. Yeah. And that's where kind of everything started to blow up. You know, it wasn't like. I don't deserve to have an equal thing. You know, I wasn't there. I didn't invent this sound. I wasn't there in 74, 75. But, you know, you got to start, you know, you want me to be Rich Ramon and write songs and do this. You're using my picture. You got my name there. Yeah. You know, you could have just threw me a bone. That's all I wanted because I, I wanted to feel loved, I guess, more yeah. than, oh, I'm going to get rich if, if I get, you know, an extra $50 a night or, you know, T-shirts. But... Yeah, you just want you just want some self respect. Yeah. I mean, and again, I have to I have to stress this. You wrote six Ramon songs. Mm-hmm. You wrote them. You you sing on one. I'll be playing that in a little bit. Uh, you sing lead on it, and uh, you know this was this was not something that the other drummers did. Tommy right. might have got co writing somewhere when they were when the songs were written by the band or whatever. But this was a different this was a different thing. This is step up that you're doing right bringing songs to the band that's amazing when you would when you brought songs were you, were you allowed to bring songs were you encouraged to bring songs for too tough to die or did you just were you yeah. just ballsy and you just no. said i got songs joey encouraged me indeed they said come on write you need to start writing because i really never wrote seriously like mm-hmm. before that he said right you know and and johnny would go did you write these songs you know um <laughs> Because Marky would bring songs, but his brother would write them, his twin brother. So, you know, they were kind of keen on that. But I would write them on my little Casio keyboard. Uh-huh. And then uh, Phil Cabano from Monster Magnet. I don't know if you know Phil Cabano. He would come up. We, I'd go to his place, six-story walk-up in Manhattan. And then he'd lay the guitar on my little track, you know, so I could pull the keyboard out. And that's how I did it. And then I'd demo that. We'd all go to Gary Kerfoot's. Everybody played their demos, and unfortunately, you know, John would only allow me to have one song because, you know, I would be eating into his pocketbook. Mm. So, uh, all right. Well, let's hear the one song that is actually on "Too Tough to Die" that you uh, that you wrote, and this is, uh, and then we'll hear the one that uh, was on a B side, and then eventually on the re-release of "Too Tough to Die." But this is uh, first one's "Humankind." So the first time that you would hear uh, Joey Ramone singing lyrics that you wrote, was that, that's got to be kind of a thrill. 
Yeah, totally. You know, he'd always try to, you know, sing it like my demos, you know. Uh-huh. Like when you hear something in my drink, he sings it real hard and edgy, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, Joey, just sing it with your crooning style, you know, but he wanted to, like, you know, sing it like me, you know. It's yeah. kind of funny. Now this next song, this was this was not on the album. It was a B side. I cannot believe that this song didn't make it on the album because as much as I love this album, this song is better than a couple of songs that are on the album. I would have definitely put "Smash You." On well, this. there's a funny story because uh, Baker's Banquet in England, mm-hmm. he loved my material, Martin, and he'd always take a second song for me because until the last album I did, I got two songs on, but the first two albums. I got Martin would take another song of mine yeah. on the European release. That's how that worked. Well, this is Smash You, and okay. this, uh, this kicks yeah, ass. Yeah, people like this song. Drums sounding great on that song. Kicking ass. They always sound great. They always sound great. Um, When people first bought Too Tough to Die, they dropped the needle. The first thing they hear, recorded by Richie Ramone, would be Mama's Boy. Couldn't keep a secret that a concrete skull. You couldn't shut up. You're an imbecile. You're an ugly dog. You couldn't shut up, you had a bad, bad breath Couldn't hold your tongue, you were just too young Like a two-year-old, you told, you told You were all the same, jelly bean brain Everyone's a secret nerd, everyone's a closet name I want to just hear the whole thing. Now, there's also a third producer on this album, David A. Stewart from Eurythmics. Mm-hmm. He comes in, he produces Howling at the Moon. Was that because uh, at Sire Records today, were they trying desperately for a Ramones hit? Is that what they were trying? Well, we were all kind of the same family, and he wanted to do something with us. So I think that's why we bought him. And it's funny, he called me the human drum machine because... Um, that was, you know, I didn't do any Ramon songs with click tracks mm-hmm. on those records. And he was like, well, I got to sync, you know, I have to sync up the synthesizers. I need a click. I said, don't you worry about it. And, you know, <laughs> I was like, you know, uh, a half a beat per minute off from the beginning to the end. You know, it's just really ridiculous for a drummer. And then I played the chimes on. He says, oh, you could play the chimes? Because well, he was going to hire someone to get them in, you know, the bells, the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know how to do that. I'm classically trained, so it's kind of fun. <laughs> That's excellent. All right, let's hear. Uh, let's hear Howling at the Moon. Shout 
Walking into a record store when Too Tough to Die came out and seeing that album cover. Because back then you didn't really know when albums were quite going to come out. Now you can just go on the internet and, oh, that's going to be released this day or that day. Mm -hmm. But to walk in and see that sitting on the shelf, that album cover, it's just so iconic. It's just, it, 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 it's exactly, it looks exactly what an album called Too Tough to Die should look like what what can you tell us about that photo shooter where was it where was that taken do you remember no nah, new york i'm sure <laughs> new right? york george dubose you know he did you know good friend of mine he he did all those album covers you mm -hmm. know so uh it's just great it's just fantastic like it's like it's to me it's iconic okay <laughs> <laughs> mean, you like that you like i, I love it shadows I just think I just because like you knew it was the Ramones, you knew it was you guys, even though it was you know yeah you guys are in shadow. It just well you know it was um, it was Central Park. Okay. So just so you know, I thought everybody knew that, but it was in Central Park, and we shot 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 with all the lights, and for some reason the light went out on this particular photograph, and that's the one they kept, you know well, maybe see, because it was a new guy, and the the funny story about it is everybody's spread eagle when they stand so i put my legs together and turned a little bit so you would know it's me <laughs> so i didn't want to stand the same way if you look at it closely <laughs> all right let's hear let's hear the title track and then we'll uh, we'll move we'll move into animal boy but this is uh this is too tough to die How many, uh, how long was the tour for, for, to promote Too Tough to Die? How long would you guys be out? I don't know. I have no idea, but we used to go out longer. Mm -hmm. Like now, I, you know, six weeks is my maximum. That's it. I have to come back and then go out again. Otherwise, you know, everybody starts fighting and beating each other up. We'd probably go for two months, maybe. What was the dynamic with the band? Were they getting along at the time of Too Tough to Die? Was everyone, you know, talking? Yeah, everybody, you know, there's all this stuff about, you know, uh, Joey and Johnny and all that thing, but I didn't really see any of that. You know, I was living the dream right there. I, you know, the, you know, I had such good f friends in the band, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. I, I didn't pay attention to that little stuff, you know, maybe certain things were occurring, but, you know, you didn't I was on the road, you know, 
a woman in one hand, a drink in the other. I mean, night after night, it was, you know, it was an incredible time. Getting paid to do what you and love to do. Paid and getting money, yeah. Okay, Animal Boy. Now, you got they switched producers up. I mean, this album sounded so great. Why didn't we just use Tommy and, and Ed again? Because, I mean... Uh, probably because maybe they wanted money. <laughs> and Daniel Ray really didn't get much, he, he, you know... Threw him a few bucks and a bag of Doritos, and he did it. You know. <laughs> well, I have written down that the guy that produced this album, and I can't pronounce him. Is it Gene? Is it Gene or John Beauvoir? Oh, Jean Beauvoir. From the, oh, I thought he was you, in the plaza. I thought you were in the last album already. No, no, no. Because we we, we we talked about uh-huh. uh, we talked about somebody put something in my drink, but I want to talk about Animal Boy just a little bit more. Jean Beauvoir, yeah, he was yeah, in from the, the plasmatics. plasmatics. Yeah, mm-hmm. great guy. You know. And um, I remember doing that album. I recorded all my tracks in a day and a half. And then he took the album to Sweden, you know, because he was pretty popular in Sweden. That's where all the vocals were done. And, you know, uh, and I wanted to be around for a drink, but, you know, they wouldn't fly me to Sweden. So it was it. So you lay down your, you lay down the whole, all the tracks for this Animal Boy album, and then, then they go off and they finish it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all I did, and I was done. Is that this? Is that how uh, "Too Tough to Die" was recorded? Yeah, all did, of them. Yeah. Really? Like no, mm-hmm. the band's not in there together recording and stuff. Yeah, we record all the basic tracks in a day the, and a half. Okay. Guitar, drums, and bass. Then they overdub the bad guitar parts. They overdub the bass. <laughs> and uh, did you just say they overdub the bad guitar parts? Is that what you just well, said? Well, yeah, mistakes you have to fix. Okay. Because you know, we record live, so you dig in there yeah. and um, fix the mistakes or whatever. So when the song, when you guys got in the studio with the songs, the song, the demos were fleshed out enough to start recording. Like you guys didn't really tinker with. No, we, we you know, we rehearsed, you know, we were, yeah. you know, we'd go in a rehearsal space and rehearse the song. So okay. we knew what was going on a few times. We weren't big rehearsals. So we got in there, we just banged song after song. John would say the clock's running, keep going, keep going, you know, and he recorded fast and furious. The clock's going, meaning we're, we're, we're paying for, uh, we're paying for studio yeah, time. Money. Let's finish mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about, I want to play a song, uh, a Joey song called She Belongs to Me. When yeah. Joey would bring, because I feel like Johnny really liked to rock, and I think that Joey had a more pop side to him. When he would bring a song like She Belongs to Me to the studio, would, would everyone embrace it? Was there any pushback on, on, on softer songs like this? Because I think this is a fantastic song. I don't know. We never sat around the circle, all four of us, and, you know, that <laughs> never really happened. I'm sure he did he didn't like that kind of stuff, you know, but Joey was a crooner, you yeah. know, and an excellent crooner and grew up on a lot of that stuff and he does a great job at those these kind of songs. And this so is fantastic. Not, yeah. You know? Okay. She belongs to me.
great tune. Joey, the voice. Mm -hmm. I used to uh, I used to get so mad when people because I love the Ramones and when people that weren't into the Ramones or didn't like the Ramones and they would say, "Oh, every Ramones song sounds the same." I just want to hmm. I want to smash them because it's not true. And when you hear songs like this and a million that used to make me so mad. I defend the Ramones always. Very good. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Um, a lot has been uh, made up about this. Uh, my brain is hanging upside down. Bonzo goes to Bitburg. Mm -hmm. You say that there, there was no big deal about this. Johnny just asked if they could change the title, and then and that was fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they recorded it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's no... Yeah, people want to make... Sometimes people want to make drama up. Well, Rewrite it's, it's history. nice for to go in print and to read the drama. You know, we yeah. all want to read about it, and that's what it is. But I was there, and I, you know, what was I blind? I don't think so. Maybe yeah. a little blind, a <laughs> little drunk or something all the time. But uh, no, but but you yeah. you would have known if there was a knockdown, drag out fight yeah, over a song. Yeah, yeah, no, none of that. You know, It'd be like, oh, John wants to do that. And so you know, they worked it out. Everybody worked it out. All right, cool. Well, let's hear a little bit of uh, My Brain is Hanging Upside Down or Bonzo Goes to Bitburg, however you want to call it. There are so many standout tracks on this album for me. I mean, I right. just, uh, I mean, as much as I love Too T Tough to Die, every, uh, every album I'm like, oh yeah, but this, this album has all these songs and then that album has all those songs. It's just amazing. Did you guys, when you were recording, when you go in to record Animal Boy, are you thinking about Too Tough to Die and are you just, no, we're just going to do the best we can do or we want to better that? What's the, what's the mindset? Just oh. always do better. Yeah, we picked the songs and... Just go record him, you know. Joey was always looking for a hit, you know, and he'd always look at me, you know, and go, after it was done, you know, this is going to be the one, is this going to be the one, Richie? And he'd go, yeah, 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 but nothing ever happened. And who's, you know? who's is that the record label's job to, to get the hit, to get it going? I mean, because these songs should have been on the radio. I, I, it's, it's hard to believe that these weren't hits. Well, of course, money to get on the radio, especially now, you know. Yeah. Some of these artists now pay hundreds of thousands to get on the radio, you know, but uh, no, it has to do with management and mm -hmm. they liked us to stay like this underground band and, you know, uh, I think, you know, I don't know, maybe later, like in 2000, maybe things would have got played more. It was still a weird time, yeah. you know. MTV didn't play us. You know, they didn't like all the gore or anything like that. Right. So, you know, there were you know, Didi and, you know, there were things about, you know, Nazis and things like that, you know. So the band had a certain aura about yeah. it that, you know, scared people, you know. But you guys don't seem like you were scary guys at all. No. It was just like a... 
We were a tall band, though, you know. Yeah. On stage, we were all big, six five, six three. John at six foot, Didi five ten. It was a very tall band, you know. So you looked kind of like you know, Kiss without their heels. Yeah, because know? because everyone was so tall. I always thought that I always thought that John wasn't tall. But then I saw him in a video store out here in L.A. Right. And uh, I saw him. I'm like, I think that's Johnny Ramone. And then he was up at the counter, and he had to give his name. They said, "What's your name?" And he said, "John Cummings." Right. And I was like, "Yeah, that's Johnny Ramone." And he was tall, and I wasn't expecting that. And again, in comparison with everyone else, I thought he was my height. Nope. So did you go over? I didn't. I wish I would have, but I I don't know. I was... You were scared. This was like in the early... This was when I just... So we were scary. I just... You know what? Of of everyone, Johnny always seemed like the most unapproachable one. No, he's very approachable. I know, but he just seemed... I don't know if it was just... I've never seen him really smile. In a photo, but well, none of you really smiled in photos, but, um, but yeah, I just, it was now, if it was any time after this, I, it was just when I moved out here and I just didn't do it. Okay. I did go to a, I did go to a record signing also when I first moved out here, it was down in Hollywood. It was like some, it's some Hollywood costume shop and Marky and Dee were there and I didn't even know what they were promoting, but they were there signing Mm. whatever you brought. So I did get, uh, I did get FaceTime with, uh, those two guys. Okay. And, uh. That was interesting. My dad was with me, and uh, my dad was like, boy, that DD's something else, huh? <laughs> I go, yep, he's a character. I think my dad said, that DD's a character. And, yeah, he's, uh, he was special. Yeah. Was special. But uh, they were, they were, both, uh, they were both, both cool. Uh, all right, so this next song I want to play, this is the one that you sing lead vocal on. Mm-hmm. But in America, we couldn't really find this. I had to pull yeah. this off YouTube. Yeah, that was another one that Martin took, you know, and yeah. Joey... He said, you know, he's like, no, Richie, you sing this one. I was like, what do you mean? I'm going to sing lead vocal? It doesn't make sense. And he's like, nah, you sing it. I want you to sing it. But Dee Dee would take a lead vocal or two, so why not the drummer? I don't know. Let's hear it. This is a great song. This is called You, in parentheses, Can't Say Anything Nice. About Johnny. So this is definitely a pointed reference to Johnny. A little bit of it, you know, a little, you know, it's kind of mixed up, but, you know, the line about the way you comb your hair was always about Johnny because, you know, he had this head of hair that, you know, he just wanted to jump into, you know, and he would (laughs) always backstage, he'd hang his head and he'd comb it forward, all forward, you know, and then flip it over. And it was like, wow, what silky, beautiful hair you have, John. So that's where that line, the way you comb your hair came in. So, but... But he didn't know this was about him. No. Mm -mm. I didn't say I'm writing a song about you, John, you know. (laughs) I dedicate this one to you, Johnny. 
Uh, all right, let's move on, uh, and then we're going to get uh, back into some of your solo work here. But let's uh, let's talk about the uh, third album that you uh, recorded with the Ramones, 1987, Halfway to Sanity. Like you said earlier, Daniel Ray. This is co. It says uh, Daniel Ray and the Ramones both produced that. This um, that's what it says on the album. That's odd. I mean, I I mixed five songs on that record. There you and go. They didn't want to give me any credit, but maybe they considered me as the Ramones there. <laughs> Wow, Maybe you're the I didn't remote. even know that. I never read that. So the songs on this album are seem to be shorter. Was that was that a conscious effort, or or is that it's just is what it was? Nothing is conscious. No. No. Mm-mm. All right. You just came in. If they were short or long, whatever they were, that's right. what we were. A song is a song. You know, a song right. could be twenty eight seconds, or it could be seven minutes. It, to tell the story, it depends what you need to do to it. There's no format. All right. Well, the first one we're going to play is uh, I'll play the one, one of the ones written by Richie. Also the title of your book, I Know Better Now. There you go. it like for you to hear these uh songs because you you don't pull out these ramones albums no, and listen really, to them it's really nice and they sound good and yeah they really do i'm thinking about what songs i'm missing in my live show that maybe i want to switch up maybe so change is, up the set list a, because of because of this show you change this up the show this. rock solid yeah <laughs> changing my life that's a rock solid exclusive he's going to change the set um now, uh, you're, you're shining a light on a lot of, uh, a lot of things that uh, I had read and thought were true, and you're like setting the record straight. Uh, is it true that Dee Dee doesn't play on this album? Um, maybe some things, but a lot of the records, all of them, they, a lot of his parts were changed, mm-hmm. you know? Dee Even Dee though was, he was alive performing, you know, he wasn't a studio bass player at okay. all. And, and, and I mean, it, and the same with John too. A lot of okay. his tracks are done, especially by Daniel Ray did a lot of the guitar work oh, over okay. on this record. You know, Daniel was a guitar player. So Dee Dee, uh, a, a live player and I mean, pr- the most prolific songwriter in the Ramones. Yeah, a poet. Yeah. I mean, that's funny. Cause back in the day when I would look at the credits, I, I always think that the lead singer writes all the songs. And then I would go through and I'm like, Oh my God, Dee Dee is writing all these songs. And that was, uh, that was always eye-opening to me when I would read the credits on that. Uh, the first single on Halfway to Sanity, good tune, I Want to Live. Diamonds and jewels. Oh, 
I want people to listen to the show and then go and buy Ramon's albums because they're, I want them to say, oh, I forgot about that song. or Oh, I've never heard that. Or, That's always my intention, Richie, when I have a guest on here. I want more people to go out and whether it's iTunes or you buy the physical copy, whatever you buy, buy it. That's why I say buy it. Okay. Here's another, <laughs> here's another Richie composition sung by Joey. This is I'm Not Jesus. I know you probably play this live because you did a version of this song right. on your uh, on your first album entitled. Yeah, I probably do all my songs live. You yeah, know, yeah. Why I'm not? You should. Songs. Yeah. Don't do the Johnny songs. Just do your own songs. Well, I do. Um, <laughs> do Angle '95. Johnny was a part of. I open the show with that usually. That's nice. That's a good. Uh, that's a nice little. Well, it's a good uh, one. It gets, it gets the sound man. You know. Revved up, he can dial in the drums and the guitars and everything. That's a nice anticipation. No singing. That's yeah. a nice anticipation song because the right. audience knows. Oh, here we go! It's right. getting ready. We're getting ready to start. Mm -hmm. uh, one more off halfway to sanity, and then we're going to talk about uh, Joey's second solo album. You know, because you played drums on okay. four of those songs. And then we're going to get into uh, entitled. This is a uh, Worm Man. I just love the drums on this. It just sounds like you're destroying your drums. It sounds like you're hitting so hard. It's amazing. Hmm. You're just it must killing be in it. The uh, production. Well, is, is this one of the ones you mixed? Do you remember? No, you don't remember that. I don't remember. No. I'm gonna say but you it did. It sounds good though. Yeah. Really good. So, uh, 2012, they release uh, Joey's second solo album after he's gone posthumously. Uh, you play on four tracks. Did you? Did you lay down these drum tracks after Joey had passed or? Yeah, Mickey's brother called me and, you know, they got these more songs to do. So Ed Stasium, 
I don't know, he did a great job pulling all these vocals together and all these demos, and then we added the tracks, new guitars and drums and everything like that. And, we, you know, Mickey wanted a bunch of, you know, different artists to play on sure. different things. So there's a few drummers and a few other players, and it was really hard, you know, because we did it afterwards. It was like Joey in your earphones as you're in the studio. He kept looking around, well, where is he, you know? I mean, it's, you know, it sounds so crisp like he's right in the next yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. They so did it really a, brought back a lot of memories. Yeah, and they did a great job because it's a, it's a pretty great album. And uh, this first one that I'm going to play with Richie on drums is called Going Nowhere Fast. To one more from the album you know called What Do I <clears throat> What Do I Do to Deserve You? What did I do to deserve such a prize? What did I do to deserve this surprise? What did I do to deserve you? What did I do to deserve you? What did I do to deserve such a prize? What did I do to deserve this? Good stuff, Richie. Nice. I uh, I find that Ramones fans, it's really it's really like a secret club sometimes. Because like you run into people and you go, oh, do you like the Ramones? And they say, yeah, I like the Ramones. And then, or, or they'll go, I love the Ramones. And then you ask them, you know, about, you know, some album and they'll be like, oh, no, I don't know. And then I'm like, oh, so yeah, you're, you're lying. <laughs> and I hate that. I like, like when they go like, oh yeah. And then they name, you know, you know, they name Worm Man and then, you know, they name Worm Man or Warthog and then you go, okay, you're a fan. But, uh. I hate the, you know, cause again, I don't want to, I don't want to bring up the t-shirt thing with you, but Ramon's t-shirts are everywhere. Even mm-hmm. in 2019, they're everywhere. And I know that, you know, 75% of the people that are wearing that shirt, they don't, they don't know the music. Right. They well, it's like, you know, I'd say in order, number one, CBGB shirt, number two, Ramon's, number three, Misfits. I think those are probably yeah. the three most identifiable shirts in this genre. Right. You know, and um, so is that a bad thing? No, who cares? You know? Yeah. You can wear a cool t-shirt, but I would like them to also know the music and at least seek it out. Give it a whirl. Well, well, you're just wonderful. (laughs) You're a wonderful human being. (laughs) 
2013, you finally get around to making your first solo album. Yeah. 26, it only took you 26 years. Yeah. What did you do in that 20? What were you doing during that time? What, from like... Uh, from like, yeah, from, from halfway to sanity to, yeah, when the tour well, ends or you leave? There was a bunch of years I didn't play. I just stopped, you know, mm -hmm. probably 10, 12 years. I wasn't playing, you know. Uh, I was doing all kinds of different jobs. I was working in hotels, too. And mm -hmm. um, uh, Would you be recognized as Richie Ramone when you're working at, at a hotel? Eventually, and then I'd have to leave that one and get transferred to somewhere else. Eventually, someone would, like, put it all together, and then you felt weird, you know? Yeah. And your Hermes ties. But I really liked that because it was, like, you know, there's different people every day. Mm -hmm. You know, the hospitality industry was pretty cool, and plus I was running departments. I was like... Big cheese working at, you know, Rich Collins and stuff like that. You had to wear you had to wear a shirt and tie. Oh yeah, that's just that's funny to me. You know, like, your you know, rock star garb is not a shirt and tie. Out of shoes. I mean, I had the whole I had the whole <laughs> thing going. You know, that's but, cool. Um, yeah, it was a departure, but I gave it all up, and then, like, I went to one of the Joey bashes. Mickey said, you know, you got to start. Why don't you come and play? It was like two thousand six. Or maybe five, and I went, and Tommy was there, and I played some songs. I was like, "Ooh, you got you the know, you got the yeah, bug." Yeah, because you start feeling something's missing in your body, you know, like uh, what's going on here? And it, it was like the songwriting, the release, and the and the things you you know what you feel, what you get from yeah. the fans, and things like that, you know, playing live. So that started going, and I was like, "Wow!" Then I went the next year, and. Um, I don't know. I just started writing again, and then people said you should do a record, and I said I never made my own record. How do you do that? <laughs> it was a big, you know, a big what to do. Getting all that done too, you know, and artwork and all these things. The second one was a little easier, and that's how it started again. They all said, "Why'd you wait so long?" Because maybe I wasn't ready. You know, I'm ready now. You know, that was just the stupid question I just asked. You know? Why'd you wait so long? Well, I'm like all those other nitwits. No, I just complimented you. You're an amazing man. Did I, did I say that? You sound very sarcastic. Are you a sarcastic guy? Uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm a jokester at times. Yeah. Now, before I play a, a song from Entitled, I do want to ask you about the, the departure from the Ramones. Uh, did you tour? You did the Halfway to Sanity tour? Halfway to Sanity tour? No. You didn't? Mm -mm. The last record, no, it was no. finished, and then I left in November. And did, jo did was did Joey try to keep keep you from leaving? No, it wasn't anything like that. You mm -hmm. know, I, you know, I went back and forth on all this. You know, about not feeling t-shirts yeah. and all this thing, and combating Johnny, and mm -hmm. you know, it's like you know. You know, I made up my mind that after this particular show in Long Island, I was going to quit. Okay. And it was a shock to everybody, you know, because I was starting a little commotion and John didn't like that and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, and it was heartbreaking. I always remember that one because it was packed house and they had a big banner up there, Richie, you know, I was like, wow, people have really taken notice. It took five years, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But, um, <clears throat> You know, I just walked out, jumped in a limousine and went away. And then the next day was a big hassle at my apartment offering me whatever I wanted. But I heard through the grapevine that 
they wanted me to play these last two shows I was bailing on, then Johnny was going to fire me anyway oh, okay. because I started this because I quit. Yeah. So he says, you know, I've seen documentaries that he never was going to do that. And so I don't know where that story came from, mm -hmm. but it was enough to shake me where I was like, well, I'm not going to get fired. And here I was, 30 years old. I was still a brat. And, um, and that's how it all came about. Gotcha. All right. Well, look, Entitled comes out, 2013. Mm -hmm. Yes, produced by you. You record, uh, you record the songs that you recorded with the Ramones, and then you record new songs. And the first one I want to touch on is Criminal. When we first met the day, I lost my mind for you. punk rock mm -hmm. you didn't lose it no it's still there let's jump into another track take my hand Your home here in uh, Southern California, do you have a, a drum set set up in your house? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you record now at your home? Yes. I don't record records. I just write there. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to go to the studio to make a real record, you know, unless you have like, you know, crazy stuff. Right. But some people do just, you know, do it yourself. They do do it mm -hmm. in their homes. You still like to go to the studio and, and yeah, you feel like, like the, you're doing something I for like real. I like the whole atmosphere and I like, you know, this... The last time I did, you know, I was like going through one takes, you know, we all record together. It's like, bam, wow, that was perfect. Go, okay. You know, fix the problems with yeah. the other musicians and move on, move on, you know. But I'm like a one take guy. Most, 90% of those Ramones records are all one take by me. Because John wanted to go so fast. You got one shot, you got to play it, and you got to play it good. You know, not like Mark who, you know, he's star. You got to line up all the beats onto the thing and... You know, like, just play the song, you know, because I think the live thing, you know, the little, rock and roll has to be a little, you know, not so perfect. Yeah, yeah. It has to be a little something moving on there. A little That's dangerous. Why yeah. Mm -hmm. The, um, <laughs> see, I would have thought Johnny would have loved you so much then because you were so economical in the studio. He did love me because he really wasn't paying me much. So he loved me. That's for sure. <laughs> If I go see a Richie Ramone show right now, who's in the band? 
Who are the band members that you go out with? Uh, Claire Mistake on bass. Um, that's a that's a lady. Yes. All right. Claire, you know, she's wonderful. She used to play in Marky's band, you know, back in the day with Marky's solo project. You stole her from Marky. Yeah, well, I think he fired her, and then I picked her up. Good for you. So Claire's on bass, and um, and my other two guys, Glenn, Glenn, oh gosh, Glenn Gilbert. Gigi, whatever. He pulled it out. Yeah, he's in he's in Houston. Okay. And um and then I have a drummer, Andy, who's also in Houston. And uh so he comes on the road and he, you know, supports me when I come up front. Sure. Type of thing. So that's so it's mainly a three piece band. You that's know, great. which is I used to have a second guitar player, but it's really not necessary. I mean, you know, this most bands only have one guitar now, then you need another amp, and it's just a problem, you know? So this is it now. And we go, we start our touring again in South America in July, you know, because I, you know, well, that's another story. I had to postpone three months of tours because I, you know, I had to have surgery recently. What and, kind uh, of surgery do you have? Well. <clears throat> if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. I mean, um, you know, I, you know, I went just for a checkup and whatever, and they found like this giant aneurysm in me. And if they didn't find it in my belly, they said it could have blew up on tour. You know, and uh, so luckily they found it. And that is good luck. Get you know, get some stents put in and stuff like that. And it's only been this past Friday is a uh, four weeks. Wow, you look so, fantastic! I no, wouldn't have thought that really, at all. It's a really killer surgery now that they don't have to because I was a candidate where they don't have to cut you open. Yeah. They, you know, they can go through the groin, and like in two weeks, you're feeling way better. And uh, so now I'm getting my mojo back, and we start touring in July, and I'll have a, you know, I'll have, you know, get everything going again. So. Well, I speak for everyone. It's too, we don't, we can't lose another Ramon. It's too, uh, it's too soon. No, it was fortunate. And yeah. I was like, well, you can go, but we don't know, because, you know, it's like 2%, you die if that thing blows up, because it's like a, you know, a swollen bicycle tube, you yeah. know, around the vein. If it, blows up you're gone or you're like you know an invalid or some kind yeah. of crazy stroke if they could keep you alive God. well you look like a healthy guy you're fit yeah, you're, no, I'm you're good, trim yeah. yeah i've been in the gym now and um are you, a, would you are you a guy that would go to the doctor and get a, a checkup not all the time in fact i didn't want to go this time you know i just wanted to get on the road and it was like february when i went i said well maybe i should go what made you, you know? go who who told you to go or why did you go uh, i think i went because um i thought i had like some waist pain or something okay. like I, I don't know if it was from driving they said it had nothing to do with this but I don't know I just wasn't feeling right well, that's 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 lucky then congrats good yeah, and they weren't looking for this they were just looking at my kidneys and stuff yeah and then saw this and they're like whoa you know and I was going to like you know Prague and Poland and these weird places and if something happened there you know yeah and, who knows so I was like let's just postpone it and let me take care of this and blah, blah, blah. That was funny. A week after me, Jagger had almost the same thing with his, you know, <laughs> yeah. heart thing, you know, heart valve. And that, too, they can go through the groin and go all the way up there now as it's opposed crazy. to cutting. If they cut your chest, you got two and a half weeks of a tube going down yeah. because your stomach stops working. I mean, the recovery time's like three, four months. So and here I'm you really, are. really fortunate that all this happened this way and I found it. And, you know, now, you know, I've got to eat a little better. And, you know, I quit smoking a year ago anyway, so I'm ready. All right. Well, that'll, that'll help your voice quit smoking. Yeah, imagine. yeah. 
but I don't want to lose my growl. That's my favorite <laughs> thing. But it's not. It's still there. And um, and so when you, when when will you be? Because uh, I looked at some tour dates, and when, when will you be coming our way so that we can see you in the in in Southern California? I never really play L.A. or here. It's that's why not. it wasn't. That's why I was shocked when you were actually based out of here because I for sure thought you were like. New York and New Jersey, and then, but you, you, are you loving Southern California? You well, like I like it, out it here because I like the weather and I like to play golf, so it's real important to me. I don't, I don't like the snow belt anymore. Yeah, even though I do like, you know, East Coast over yeah. there. I, I like the vibe of the people and everything, but it's too expensive, too hard to live there, too much of a rough life. Yeah. And here, I could have a car, have my clubs in the back, and <laughs> it seems like an easier life. Take the dog to the dog park. Yeah, but cool. the um. You know, the Southern California thing is really tough on this country. For me, anyway, this is in my audience. It's more of East Coast. Yeah. So I really don't come here. I've tried. Yeah. i played here a few times, but it's, it's not working, you know. Well, I'll keep checking the website, and hopefully you'll surprise us someday down the road. Possibly, we'll see it. don't but, hold your breath. <laughs> RichieRamone.com is where you can find everything. Right. Tour dates, mm-hmm. music, T-shirts, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And Twitter, at the Richie Ramone. Is okay. your Twitter? Are you yeah. on? Are you on Instagram? Or are those just the two things? Probably, but I don't know what any of that stuff is. Do you have a person that runs that for you? No, you do it. Yeah. All right. You run like whatever goes on Facebook. You know, ends up shooting off of there to everywhere. I guess it goes to Twitter automatically. I'm not so certain about Instagram. I'm sure I have a thing, but well, people. I know that's the more hipper one than Facebook's first old people of Facebook, but. <laughs> That's all I know. But. Well, Richie's got T-shirts on his website, and they're really cool T-shirts. So let's finally give Richie some of that T-shirt money. Go over there and buy some T-shirts and buy some music and, and go see the live shows. Do all, everything. Great. I'm going to play some more songs. I'm going to play a couple more songs. Then we're going to get you out of here. Let's hear another song from Entitled. This is called Someday Girl. Someday girl, you know. I'll need you Someday, girl, you'll feel like a mayor And someday, girl, you know I hurt you You're just the one to make money Good. That's not bad. I haven't heard many of those in a while. I'm going to let you pick the playout song. I have three songs queued up from Cellophane. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what they are in a second. But first, again, I want to say follow Richie on Twitter at the Richie Ramone. Go to richieramone.com. For us, we're at rocksolidpodcast.com. I'm at pat underscore Francis. We're at Rock Solid Show. Uh, Richie, I, I know uh, we don't want your meter to run out. I promised you I'd only keep you here 90 minutes. So we're going to play one more song. We're going to be the playout song. I want to thank you so much for being so nice with your time, especially now that I know you had a critical <laughs> surgery four weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This and is my coming out party right This, is, this yeah. is it. And, and, uh, yeah. and just so you know, this episode is going to drop to the world 
tomorrow. So okay, this is great, cool. This is one of my great, quickest great. turnarounds of all time. Usually it's like a couple weeks, but we're going to get it right out there. And here's the three songs you can choose from, Richie. Why? You, what do you mean, why? I thought you were going to let me pick it. Now I, have I to am. Pick. Well, I, was, I have three queued up, and I was going to let you pick the... I want, I'm not ready. Oh, well, here, your worst enemy, what or pretty poison? Which one of those do you want to hear? Okay. What do you mean you're not ready? You're not ready to pick one? No, pretty poison. No, that was the last song on cellophane. It's you a great, don't have that one. Yeah, I have pretty poison here. No, I'm not ready. You don't have. Uh, well, no, let me see if I do have it. I'm not ready is the one that you would choose. Mm -hmm. Maybe I do have it in here. I, I want to please. Pretty the poison was. That was a cool song because that I actually wrote for the Ramones and we didn't do it then. And then I revamped it and did it on that record. I've got. I, I can play. I'm not ready. Yeah. That's, That's what you what want? Yeah, I want to hear that. You know, All right. We've well, rocked out enough, and this is kind of cool because it's, you know, it's about, you know, you know, your life ending, and it, it's about, you know, at times when you, through life, you wanted to, um, you wanted to off yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, nobody would take you then, you know, as, you know, they kept you here. And now as I'm getting older, I'm saying now I'm not ready, you know, so don't take me now. It's kind of the whole basis of that thing. Perfect. Good. Well, I'm glad you chose this. Thank okay. you for that story. And sure. let's hear this. And again, thank you so much. We're going to take some pictures and get you out of here. Here's I'm Not Ready by Richie Ramone. All right. The heaven can wait. I'm already late
I couldn't ask for anything better than that.